way over here rather than center stage um, welcome in from the heat and uh, why don't you take a moment and greet those around you or even maybe someone across the room <laughs> Bless the Lord. 
Morning, everybody. Yeah, it's like we're still talking. Is that is that the end of the song? Good day. Are you guys uh, having a good summer? Yeah, that's about what you're thinking. Some of you think I'm going back to work tomorrow, teaching. Actually, you guys have been teachers. You've been back for a week, right? Okay, thanks a lot. Good. Let's close in prayer. It is good to have you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are awfully glad to have you here. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. We, have, uh, we need to be praying for a lot of our parents of college kids as they're dropping their kids off. And, and uh, some, like the Bonhams, are dropping their, their freshmen in college off today. And uh, that will be, uh, you know, as you know, Jeff's a super emotional guy, so he'll be crying all the way home. So uh, it is, uh, life moves on, and uh, things will start getting busy here in town. And, and uh, we want to thank you, those of you who are teachers, for all, and educators, administration, and uh, cooks, and bus drivers. And uh, we're going to pray for you a little bit later in our service, but we're glad you're here this morning. And we have uh, had two teams, a, tri a team to Guatemala and a team to Brazil are back from their mission trips and uh, praying for their adjustment. It's always hard when you come back from a short-term mission trip to readjust into, um, back into, into culture, uh, American culture. Um, so welcome. Again, if you are visiting with us this morning, we have some people who've been here for a few weeks. And uh, I just want to really encourage you, if you want to jump into Carpenter's Way, if you want to build, relationships are what will keep you growing. 
It's not just the preaching and teaching. So we want to encourage you to get involved in one of our Bible studies. That is the next step to assimilating into our church family and checking it out. And uh, here's how you do that. Uh, a lot of people miss this, but along the wood wall as you walk in, there is a table there and it says, Welcome to CW. And uh, at that table are people that are there to help uh, direct you for the next step. That's our assimilation team. And if you, have, uh, if you are here and you're ready to try a Bible study out, um, after service there'll be somebody at that table. If you'll head your way back there and shake their hands and ask them about a Bible study, they'll find out where you're at and they will. We don't, we don't really do age-graded Bible studies here, so they'll hear about where you're at and what you're learning and what you're interested in and what you feel your needs are. And we'll take you to one. There's about seven adult Bible studies. And uh, they function as little churches. They pray for each other. They take care of each other in times of need. And uh, you, you may go to one and find out it's not what you're looking for, and that's okay. We'll move you around until you find a home there. But uh, that's the next stage. So I would ask you this morning, if you've been visiting with us, to jump back at that table, and somebody will be glad to take you there. If this is your first time with us, and I have never had a chance to meet you, after the service, I will be down up, up front for a few moments. I'll be praying with folks. If you'll just be patient, I'd love to shake your hand and... Uh, and pray with you and encourage you and answer any questions about Carpenter's Way or the crazy leadership team of this church because uh, we're glad you're here and we want to encourage you. For those who come here regularly, you're freaking out because I'm on top of the stage. I am so sick of people griping about not being able to see me. There's not much to see. Now you're on your own. Okay? But we, we, uh, we're moving up here so you can see us a little bit better. It also helps if you nod off. If, you know, you're already kind of looking up. I'll try that joke again. I, I, that, that one actually paid off pretty well. Okay, so let, let's get on with what we came here to do. Uh, one of the things, okay, so we had two mission teams that, that went, uh, one to Guatemala and one to Brazil, and they came back last Sunday, and over the next couple weeks, we want to give you just a snapshot of what God did, so uh, through them and what they experienced. Uh, Jeremy Overby is one of our uh, pastors in our church, and he's going to be sharing with you in a for a couple minutes what happened in Guatemala and invite you Wednesday night to hear the full thing, right? Come on, Jeremy. You, don't be shy. I just don't see you as a shy guy. You stand all the way back there. Jeremy, why don't you share? So Jeremy uh, is, has been an elder in our church for a year, and uh, he kind of oversees our facilities, building property, and all that stuff. It's just kind of defaulted to that, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, he missed. He got up and went to the restroom, and we assigned him <laughs> that responsibility. Uh, but he also, he and his wife, have been in full-time ministry before. They've been missionaries, and to have a passion for a ministry in Guatemala, for those of you who are visiting, um, and have been taking teams for, what, three or four years now? Four? This is our fourth, fourth team. It started with them going as a family, right? Yeah. We went, we, went, uh, we went for a month about five years ago. You're doing a great job. I'm just going to sneak you. over here. And Thank you. I'm going to sit by Jim. I don't, I'm, I'm starting to get a nosebleed from the altitude <laughs> yeah, up I here. I know. It's unnerving, I know. Oh, jeez. All right. So... Um, I just want to take just a couple of minutes this morning to share a quick uh, snippet um, from our trip a couple of weeks ago. Uh, first, I'd like to thank the numerous individuals uh, who helped our team from Guatemala by donating financially, donating items needed by Students International, which is the organization that we work with down in Guatemala, uh, by praying for us daily, and the many other ways that you've helped our Guatemala team. Uh, we had a wonderful week. During our week, we were able to worship in different ways, languages, and places. We walked, we painted, we cooked cookies, banana bread, tortillas, dobladas. We found the limits of a drive shaft. Oh. Sorry, Sorry you, you, didn't, you didn't hear that. 
we saw things we hoped to see again but may not get the opportunity to. We laughed, we sang, we walked some more, we used Google Translate a bunch, we took pictures, we made memories, we made bracelets, we crocheted, we sewed, we shopped local, we ate new things, we drank lots of coffee, we walked some more, we built a stove, we tutored, we played soccer, we tried to solve problems, we prayed. Uh, we, we served and were served. We loved on others and were loved on by others. We would love for uh, everybody to come Wednesday night and kind of hear more of what we did. It's hard this morning to share with you about our trip, but not share with you about our trip. So um, anyway, so we want to encourage you to come Wednesday night to hear more about uh, about our experiences. Thank you. So I just, I just want to... Um, did good. Uh, I just want to express a couple things. I, I know you know this, but we don't think about it enough, so I'm going to start saying it more and more. We have uh, people who do things. Go to Guatemala. They go to Brazil. Uh, a lot of the people that go are repeat. Like, they take their family all the time. Uh, the Hudsons go to Brazil all the time. They serve on their boards. I think sometimes that we forget when we come into a room like this, that none of this happens without a whole team making it happen. Um, we all give, or you should. If, if you're part of Carpenter's Way, take a breath. I'm, I'm going to talk like a preacher for a second. Um, you should be participating because when your kids go to camp, there's staff that goes, there's lay staff. We take care of all those people. So giving supports all these things from our missions, uh, not just the money we send across the globe. Uh, we give things like they'll put a list up there uh, that we need to collect, and we collect. They don't have as big a group as Brazil, so Brazil got so much stuff this year from you, and you gave and gave and gave, that they got to share it with another team going, and it all got their thousand, uh, I think, how much stuff, do you remember the weight, Kevin? I think you said a couple thousand pounds or something like that. Huh? 3,300 pounds of stuff went to Brazil. Now, Please understand, when you go to a nation like Brazil and you go down the Amazon, 3,300 pounds is not a lot, but it opens the door for the gospel. When you, drill, when you drill a well, when you dig a hole and water comes out, you get to talk about the water of life. This will leave you thirsty. This will not. When, when we send people to Guatemala and they go there and he talked about what they did, when, when they teach women how to cook, when they build, in the past they've built indoor store, stoves, which a lot of them have, but they don't exhaust well, and we end up with dead Guatemalans. That's not good. So they go in, and they help them learn how to do things. Uh, they teach them veterinary medicine, things that they are not trained to do. They teach English. They teach things that are very important. We use those as tools, opportunities to present the gospel, and that's what they do. They live among these people, and what's ironic, though, is when you come back, Usually your week back is rough because you're kind of grumpy because of the cultural radical change. You realize how it's hard for me to go on mission trips and come back because I realize how self-centered we are when we have so much already. So come Wednesday night. Um, next Sunday morning, um, the Alversons are going to share uh, for five minutes because they're going to the border in Brownsville. Is that right, Alversons? Brownsville, Texas. There's a church that's turned half of their worship center into a a shelter for people coming across the border, and we need to be involved with that, so we're sending the Alversons and I think the uh, 
uh, Neil Longino is going with them, and they're going down to the border to check out this ministry and see if it's not something we can be involved in. Uh, it's something we need to be involved in, uh, no matter how you vote. Uh, again, nothing wrong with voting for a wall, but you've got to care about people across the wall. That's biblical, simple teaching. That's how this works. So we're sending them down. They're going to figure things out, and we may have a trip to Brownsville uh, with folks. Uh, Brazil, they've already worked on next year's dates. Now, some of you, I'd like for all of you to go, but not everybody can go. But all of you should send. All of us. Not you, we. We're in this together. We should send. We should send them. We should support them financially. We should, uh, we, we should support what we're doing. In the, and you'll look in your worship guide. It, it isn't just there. We got missions here. Our children's ministry. We are discipling young men and women. And, I've, and we point out, we had a month worth of camps this summer. <laughs> a month. Like every week for a month. Starting with vacation Bible school to preteen camp to elementary age camp to, to student camp in Colorado. Um, and these... These are incredible ministries, and we always need new blood. And so don't just sit, jump in. Yes, there's qualifications for each of these ministries. Um, if you don't like teaching or singing, there are opportunities for you to sweep and vacuum and support and set up before and after. But we're all in this together, for real. And I, I, I've sat out there, it was a long time ago, but I've sat out where you are, and you kind of just think things happen. And, and i got to tell you, they don't just happen. They only happen because you make them happen. This is your church. This is your local church. This is your family. So I just want to encourage you, be involved. Be involved. Be sending. So when he gets up here and he says, thank you for all of you who gave, um, if you're giving regularly to the church, you gave. Uh, we, we support, uh, we, we give scholarships, uh, not a lot to the Guatemala because it's less, but we, we pay for some ad adult staff to go. Uh, in Brazil, it's the same. With our student camps, we pay for the adults to go. You do. So all of that is to say this. Thank you. If you're not participating, stop it and start. <laughs> we need you involved. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's not just budget-wise. It's, it's, it's serving. It's getting involved. There's lots of stuff to do. And uh, some of those opportunities we put in the worship guide, so, so take some time to look at that. Um, there are some regularly preschool and children's ministry needs, but I got, I got to tell you one right off the bat that we need you for, and that is every year... Burley Elementary or Primary invites us to be a part of their welcome team. Um, I'm going to mess this up, so I'm going to need some educators to help. Um, I think it's something like 78% of people living in Angelina County are under the poverty level. Is that percentage right? It's what? 75%. Uh, that is why Lovkin Schools, Lovkin ISD, is now paying for any student to eat breakfast and lunch, because many of these kids go hungry. Um, that is the community you live in. You can scream about it on Facebook. You can say it's stupid. The truth is we've got to take care of these people. And what a, what a wonderful community that allows us to do it this way. This is why so many organizations uh, offer backpack stuff. Um, but many of these kids, and I mean many, are coming from impoverished homes one-parent homes where mom is working very hard just to, just to put food on the table, um, when they go into school, some of these kids are scared. And so many of the local schools have invited people to come and high-five them as they walk on campus like it's the best day. They decorate the entrance. Julie and I got to be involved uh, last year with this, but Burley has invited us 
to send some people out, and basically what you do for about 30 to 45 minutes is you stand in a line, the kids walk through, and you just high-five them. It's like they're running through that, you know, if you've watched a Lovekin football game, it's like they're running onto the field to play, and that's exactly the feeling they're trying to go for. So, here's an opportunity for you to love on kids. How is that ministry? Because you're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Everywhere you go, God goes, some of you are visiting and you're going, man, he's preaching already. You betcha. But this is what we do as believers. We get into the community. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we love on people. If you'll open your worship guide, uh, right in the middle of the middle, it says, first day of school, greeters needed at uh, uh, Burley Primary. After the service, Nancy Hickson and uh, Sarah Allen are going to be up here. Nancy, where are you? Uh, so up here, is this okay? If you're interested in ministering there, please come talk to them. Uh, in the meantime, other ministries. It's that time of the year where things get busy. There's no retirement until we get to heaven. So jump into ministry. We need you to love on people. Uh, we need you to love each other. Um, and I'm going to say one more thing, and that is you know, we need you to give. Uh, we fell behind in the summer, as we often do. Uh, so please uh, be faithful in your giving because uh, we can only do what you allow us to do, and, and, uh, and we need that. So this is me letting you know we've got to make up for some fall behind. Uh, and that's, that's what we do together. I want to make sure I haven't missed any other announcements. Um, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time um, because we are going to pray for our offering. If you are visiting, this is not for you. This is for those who attend here regularly. If you're visiting, you need to check us out and see if we're a worthy ministry to be a part of and jump into. Our goal this morning for you is real clear. We want you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's what we want you to do. We want you to love him. Um, if the Lord calls you to Carpenter's Way, we'll expect you to jump in and serve. I, I, there's no reason to be deceived. We want you to serve. We want you to give. We want you to participate. That's what we do as a family. All this happens because of what we do together. So having said that, that's what this offering is. We support 14 missionaries individually and mission organizations, and then we, we give to the Southern Baptist Convention International Mission Board. Uh, we give tens of thousands of dollars for work across the globe because that's what the Lord told us to do. So thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to give you a heads up. I really thought I had a message worked out, but the Lord has really been moving in my heart this morning, so the text kind of has taken a different turn. So we'll see how that works out. I never know until it's done. But I think the Lord has something pretty intense for us to think about this morning. So thanks for being here. Thank you for participating. Let's commit our time to Jesus. Father, we love you. We do love you, Father. Sometimes we forget how, how much you've done for us. And I think this morning gives us an opportunity to be reminded of all that you have done for us. And I, I thank you that we can gather this morning, Father, as a family and, and think about you and take our eyes off of the world. We can challenge each other in how to minister to this world that's in trouble. Then we can focus on you and remind ourselves why we're grateful, why we serve. I thank you, Father, for all of those, Lord Jesus, who went, who invested thousands of their own dollars to go to Brazil, to go to Guatemala. Uh, those who are investing their lives, um, who are serving full-time from our flock, that we have the privilege of supporting from Cassidy to, um, I, I think, of, of Josh and Allie Ferguson. Lord, thank you that we were raising up men and women. I thank you for Matthew Culbertson this morning that is a chaplain in a prison. Thank you for them. Bless them today. May today be about you and what you're doing through them. Bless their ministry. For us, Father, help, help us understand that Carpenter's Way is a mission outpost from the work that began in Jerusalem. And that soon, you will bring us home. So may we run through the tape. May we finish the race well. 
Father, we thank you for how you have provided for us financially through the years. We pray you, we, know, we, we trust you'll continue to provide as needed according to the ministries you want us to have. We pray that your people would be faithful in that. We pray that they would be faithful in serving. So we ask you this morning to move in the hearts of your children and make us more like yourself. And Father, now as we turn our eyes away from all of that, now we turn it back to you and ask you to bless us and make us more like your son through your word and through the worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there on the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought by the precious blood of christ no guilt in life fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns or calls me home
But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear.
like a preacher walking up here like this. Uh, let me clarify something. I had somebody text me while we were worshiping. Uh, the percentage of 75% poverty rate is not for Angelina County. I meant to say for the school district. Uh, that's 75% of the children who go to Lubkin ISD schools are, under, are growing up under the poverty level. That's why they're feeding them. So I do not know what the actual percentage is in Angelina County. I, I misspoke if I said that. So. Anyway, it's, it's, all you got to do is drive around this county to know there's a need, right? And to have the opportunity uh, to minister to people, uh, whether it's by way of buying their meal or buying them clothes or hugging their neck when they're struggling, that's what matters. That's what we're called to do. So I want to pray because uh, I feel like this message is going to get kind of intense this morning. I know that's shocking because I'm not an intense guy, but just kidding. Let's, let's pray together again. Lord Jesus, I ask you to take your word this morning and uh, burn it into our heart, Father, your children. Um, help us want to be like you, Father. 
Uh, for those who don't want to be like you, may today be the day of salvation. Um, so, Lord Jesus, help me speak clearly. Help me not overspeak. Um, I'm not speaking at people. Uh, this is a problem for me. I, I forget this, what we're about to learn. So, uh, thank you for recording your life and ministry for us that we can say, wow, I, this wow. So, speak your truth, uh, speak the truth, and either bring us to yourself or bring us to a place of surrender. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For those of you who are visiting with us or haven't been with us uh, recently, we are in the midst, uh, we are on the 24th week of looking at Jesus from the scripture, answering the question that's on the screen, who is this man? Um, we have lots of answers, depending on what denomination you're a part of. People answer this question so many different ways. So we are trying to take a disciplined look together at who the Scripture says Jesus Christ is. How does he reveal himself? And I know that if you're visiting, that sounds like a classic church theme. I just want you to know that we're really trying not to look from our Baptist glasses or our evangelical glasses, but look at Jesus from the Scripture, from, the, from, from context. And so we're glad to have you joining with us this morning, whether it's in this room or online. Um, the scripture is going to be on the screen behind me, but I encourage you to look at your Bibles. Uh, bring your Bibles, brothers and sisters, so that you can turn to it yourself and make notes in there, things that you're learning, that questions that you have. Bring sticky notes. I want to remind you that this isn't, I'm not paid enough to be wrong on this, and I got to tell you, I'm wrong about stuff. And it is your job as my brother and sister in Christ to point out where I'm wrong. But here's the rules. We got to stick with scripture. And if you do, and if you show in Scripture that I'm, I'm out of place, I will correct it the next week from the pulpit, because this is a thing we're doing together. We're walking with God together. We're not just serving together and giving together and supporting missions together. We're learning together. And it is in that spirit that uh, we find ourselves this morning, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and I'll jump there in a few minutes, but I want to bring you up to speed with where we've been the last few weeks. In our time together in the Word, especially last week, we listened in as Jesus sent the apostles out to minister in Matt, from Matthew chapter 10. And you remember that that was a tough thing. I mean, Jesus, Jesus told them that they were going to be arrested, that they were going to have to give up their lives, that they were going to stand before judges, that they might even die, and that this would be difficult. He told them to prepare for the journey. He started by telling them not to go to Jews. He told them that he didn't even want them to go home and pack a bag. He wanted them just to take what they had on them and go and then take the hospitality of people around them and accept it. And he said, when you go into a home uh, that welcomes you in, bless them. And if they don't treat you well, take back the blessing. But if they do, leave the blessing. And we'll, I'll hear from heaven and, and I will bless them. This was an apostolic charge to these men. He told them that he would validate their ministry because I'm sure they were wondering, why in the world would anybody believe us? And he said, the reason they'll believe you is because my father will help you to do miracles. You will raise the dead and, and heal the sick. And you remember this context from last week. And as he does that, you have to understand that the disciples were probably thinking to themselves, what in the world is going on here? Well, one of the things I hope that you understand through our study together is just how well written this book is that we call the Bible. As you know, the Bible is made up of 66 different books written over a period of 1,400. See, the problem with me not being down there is I can actually get in your face. That's kind of cool. If you're not here regularly, I have ADHD and I'm all over the place. The next thing we're going to do is get me to fly over you guys and talk down at you. That would be kind of cool. But one of the things that I hope you're understanding is that the context really, really, really matters. And uh, the way that this is written, these, these books, again, six, 66 books, written over a period of 1,400 years by f at least 44 different authors, all with one message, 
focused on Jehovah God, sending a Redeemer who will save us. It's all pointing to that. And yet they're written just, just marvelously. Each of the authors that God inspires to write this book have a different angle. For instance, I told you a few weeks ago that Luke is writing his two historical volume book. He's writing it for, uh, for some Roman uh, governor or a leader to explain how Christianity got to where it was when he's writing it towards the end of the book of Acts. He wants them to understand that Christianity is not a cult or a group of people who are trying to subvert governing authorities, but in fact, he's telling a story of how it happened. So the Gospel of Luke is the first of the two volumes. You know that the second volume is Acts, and the first volume is almost always done in chronological order. The other three Gospels that we have, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, were not written in chronological order. They're written thematic. Uh, for instance, uh, John is writing so that people might know who Jesus Christ is, for people to be saved. Matthew is written, most theologians believe, predominantly for Jews. So he talks a lot about the law. He talks a lot about, you get the idea. Each of them are written for a purpose. To my brothers and sisters, I have a side note here. It is your responsibility to know that. I know you don't have time to go to seminary, but this is why you have application Bibles and stuff. Why does it matter? Because it helps you understand why Matthew spends an awful lot of time talking about the law. It is not that he's trying to get us to keep the law. He wants you to understand you can't keep the law. That's the theme. John wants everybody to know who Jesus Christ is, the Lamb of God who takes away this, uh, the sin of the world. But he wants Gentiles to know that they could read his gospel. So he begins by saying that he went to his own. He came into the world. The world didn't recognize him, but he came to his own. They rejected him, so he went to anyone and everyone who would listen. So he calls us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish. It's a gospel to Gentiles and Jews alike. And so it's written in that. And so every verse in these books have a context. And, and as you study, this is why you need to be in the scriptures. Because as you understand them, it helps you not be misled by not well-meaning pastors like me. You don't want to be manipulated. To know the truth, you got to know the truth. Study to show yourself approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. The Bible is not complicated. It's just misused. There's a difference. How do you avoid getting into that confused group? Study the scriptures. Know what it says about itself. Having said that, uh, Jesus has just out of, uh, in, in the, actually in Matthew chapter 10, and actually Luke chapter 7 earlier, the, the, the context right before what I'm going to read you, Jesus sends the apostles out, and it's not a great sending. It's a tough sending. He's telling them that they're going to suffer, that they're going to be in prison, that they're going to be beaten. But what's really cool is right after Matthew does that, he tells the story of John the baptizer. He's everybody's hero. Everybody knows that this camel hair wearing kind of freakish guy who's out in the wilderness, everybody knows his story. And you may not know much about John the baptizer, but you know he's one of the good guys. And he put it all on the line. He's a freak for God. What's so amazing is about, about how Matthew wrote his book is after he tells the apostles, you're going to suffer, you're going to die. And at the end of that, he says, if you, are not, if you are not willing to give up everything for me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't pick up your cross and follow me. And remember in last week's message, some got upset last week because I said, you're living in a time in American Christianity where you're being told that you can have your best life now when Jesus says, I'm calling you to give up your life. There is no middle ground. Jesus never promised you a better life now. He promised you hope and peace and strength and, and um, a heart for him. He promised to give you courage. He never promised to give you wealth and health. Never promised that. 
And I know that that's hard for some to hear. I, I challenge you, don't believe me, study the scriptures. We're just starting with Jesus' tough teaching. The problem is, we have, what I'm loving about this study is I've forgotten just how intense Jesus is. And this is reminding me about how intense my calling as a pastor is. This is reminding me how intense your calling as a follower of Jesus is. So here's my challenge. You don't like what I say? Don't run off. Challenge it. Well, I, I don't want to. You know the word. Then know it better than me. Prove me wrong. Come on, you guys. I don't want to be wrong. I want to be healthy and wealthy too. I want to, I want to raise the dead. I don't ever want to do another funeral. So if I'm wrong, show me how I'm wrong and teach me how to do it right. And for the record, dead people don't have faith. That's not what makes you well. You're well because God chose to touch you. So if you're not clear on what I just did, I doubled down on last week's message. This is tough. It's difficult. It's painful. But it is also awesome. The peace of God that you get. Wednesday night we were talking, and, and we had a lady from Seasons of Hope share um, her life. And I, I, can't, I don't want to tell her story. That's for her to tell. Maybe sometime we'll have the privilege of letting one of them share here. And I would love that. But she talked about how hard it is to stay away from the things that ailed her, but how worth it it is. There is peace to be had. More on that in a moment. But as Jesus, uh, Matthew writes the story of Jesus and then John the baptizer, and at the end of this story of John the baptizer, remember, he blinked. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one we're waiting for, or should we keep looking? He freaked out. And Jesus gently tells his disciples to go back, and you tell John what I've taught, you tell him what you've seen me do, and you tell them to stay the course. And he, they go back. And after he goes back, the people, the disciples, those hundreds of people that are following, Jesus starts talking to them about John. And they, he says, no one greater has ever walked the earth than John. His faithfulness and blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. But at the end, it ends with this famous. This is the context for this famous verse from Matthew 11. This is the end of explaining about John who's freaking out. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. This is in the context, okay, don't, don't go yet, Louise. This is in the context, friends, of Jesus just telling the apostles, you're going to suffer. This is in the context of him telling John is freaking out, of everybody in the crowd knowing. And he turns to the crowd and said, John is the greatest. Why? Because he wants them to realize that even the most faithful among us freak out at times. Even we blink. Jesus is not mad at him, but instead he encourages them to the crowd to be like John. And at the end he says, come to me. When it's difficult, when you're tired, when you're beat up, when you're in prison, you come to me if you're weary and you carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Notice it doesn't say I'll fix your problem. It says I'll give you rest. Next verse. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Rest. That's what Jesus offers. That was the end of this context. That was, it was so amazing and some of you noticed it and I got some texts from some of you this week that said, man, I just didn't realize Look, context matters, and you went from chapter 10 in Matthew, where Jesus is instructing the apostles with these difficult things, and we all kind of go, well, I'm glad I'm not an apostle, and chapter 11, where Jesus says, take rest. Even, even non-apostles are suffering and struggling, and John the baptizer, he's not dying yet, we'll get there soon, but John the baptizer ends up dying in prison because he remains faithful to Jesus. If he would have backed off, he'd have gotten out of prison, but he was willing to sacrifice his life. Why? Because he found his rest in the Lord. He found his rest in the Lord. 
I, I just want to start by, by, again, by telling you Jesus is the right choice for your life. I know that sounds stupid to hear from a pastor, but he is the right choice for your life. Not because, not because Christianity is a better religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with this man is where hope is found. A personal relationship with this man, man is, is where peace is found. There's nobody like him. When we get to the end of the story of Jesus' life in 11 years, I keep saying a different number of years every week. I know it's a bad joke, but I'm going to keep using it. You're going to find him talk about leaving and why he has to leave, and you all know the answer to that. I have to leave because somebody great, greater than I needs to come and inhabit you, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as you go to work this week, teachers and bus drivers, and I know you've been working for two weeks, but as you go and you have those kids walk into your office this week, you do not go alone. And you are not limited by the federal government in what impact you can have on their lives. You may be limited in what you can say, but your life, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry God with you. You are the temple. This isn't the temple. This building, it is the home. The outside says the home of Carpenter's Way Church. You are the temple. It becomes God's home when we gather together. We are the temple together, and we celebrate, and we worship, and we encourage each other, and then we go out there, and we live it out, and then we come back in the week, and we encourage each other again. That's what this is all about. I want to remind you that if you are surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit, you will have joy. You will have supernatural peace in the crisis. You'll become patient with people. Not because you choose to, but because God changes you. You'll become patient. You will genuinely become a kind person because that's what God does. The Holy Spirit will make you long-suffering. That kid that's going to show up in your class this year or on your bus, as you pray for that child and you surrender control of your heart, the parent, I know some of you are thinking, it ain't the kids, it's the parent. As you pray for them, God will make you long-suffering. Man, there are times that you will actually look at and see. You will react in a way that's totally foreign to you, and you'll go home going, where was that from? And you'll be encouraged because you'll realize God is changing you. Or your spouse, or your church, somebody around you will say, you really have changed. I see God working in you. These are the qualities of a life that is surrendered to God through the Holy Spirit. Being a true follower of Jesus changes you from the moment you accept his offer to save you, realizing that you don't have to pay for your own sin, to the Holy Spirit radically changing how you see the world. Because after salvation, when you realize you have been forgiven, the next thing is underseeing the world from, a, from the eyes of Jesus. Having a worldview radical change. Just because you're religious does not mean you're going to change. Meeting Jesus for real, surrendering control of your life to the Holy Spirit, that's what changes you from the inside out. As you're going to see in today's text. Today's text in Luke chapter 7 shows a huge disparity between a woman who loves Jesus and a religious leader who's skeptical about it. It's a, what do you call it when you have two different things? A paradox, it's a, 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 but it's a, it's a comparison. So don't miss that. 
yeah, I, I'm not finding the word right now, but it's a compare, it's contradiction. It's a contradiction of people. You're gonna, I want you to notice as we start reading through this story, I want you to notice that it's the religious guy, the Pharisees, and I know you are predisposed to not liking Pharisees, but I want you to understand that the Pharisees were the right-wing religious leaders of the Jewish community of their day. Get that in your brain. Put away all of our prejudices about them. They were the right guys. They were the Baptists of their day. They were the assemblies of God. They were the people protecting the truth. And then there was a prostitute. Let's get into the story. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it tells us that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Man, I, that was the first thing that blew my mind this week as I read the story. I don't know about you, but I'm not wasting time with another Pharisee if I'm Jesus. You see, dinner time, meal time, time off, if you look at his whole story, those weren't times for Jesus to rest. They were times of different kinds of ministry. We do not know how long after Jesus talks about John the baptizer, after Jesus says, come to me, all you who weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest from Matthew 11. It doesn't say it in Luke 7, but it says it in Matthew 11, so we know he said it. We don't know how long. It could even have been that night. He could have finished teaching that. This guy, Simon is his name, you'll find in a few minutes, could have been in the crowd with Jesus that day. And as soon as he's done teaching and the people kind of settle in for the night or go into the town to eat or whatever it is they do, this guy could have come up and Jesus says, hey man, I have a, I have a house in town. I'd like to invite you and a few friends over for dinner. But Jesus went. Who is Jesus that he would waste time with a guy who doesn't even like him? If you want to be like Jesus, you don't have just dinner with your family and people you like and people who build you up. You don't just have dinner with seekers. You even fellowship with haters. That's Jesus. Verse 37. So he goes to this guy's house for dinner, Simon. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a, a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt before him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. It's funny because um, Christians don't know what to do with the story because we're not sure if this is a freakish event or this is a normal kind of behavior that happens in this time. We're not sure what to do because we know she's a good, we know she's doing the right thing because we know Jesus' reaction to her. This is actually one of two or three times that this happens in his ministry. This is the first time it happens. But what's interesting is we don't really know. And I'm here to tell you, having studied this week and having studied this before, this was an awkward scene for everybody involved, including Jesus. Now, dinner parties were commonplace back in the day, especially among the religious and political elite. Pay attention to this, because I'm going to tell you about culture. After they would eat, it was not uncommon for a Pharisee, religious leader, a political leader, to be invited into somebody important's house, and they would invite a, guest, a special guest into that home, and they would all sit and recline, around a low table, and they would sit on pillows, and they would lean back, and after they were done eating, they would talk about religion or politics or whatever was going on, and at that point, though, uh, non-elites, little people, would be invited in, and they would be allowed to stand around the outside wall, and although they could not participate in conversation or touch anybody at the table, they could listen in. This was a freakish moment, though, because a woman that was this kind of woman, we really don't know what her sin was, but historians believe, by the way, that Pharisee, the Pharisee Simon, as well as his friends, react to her. They believe it is reasonable to believe that she was a prostitute. So that's the historical context of what's going on here. 
not only does she enter a house of a Pharisee, which she should never have been in, but she actually touches this prophet guy. Rabbis, just for your information, never touched women. They were never touched by women. They were never seen alone with women. And for this to take place, for her to cry, to wash his feet with her tears, for her to kiss his feet, and it's going to tell us in a moment, nonstop, for Jesus to allow this, for her to then take expensive oil and pour it on his feet and anoint them, this is highly unusual and just as awkward as it would be in your house. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a real prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Take a breath. Yes, he said it. We wouldn't be politically correct to say it, but he said it. He thought it to himself. Because the moment is weird. Because this woman is a sinner, prostitute. She's touching this guy. You get a sense from what he's thinking of what his estimation is of Jesus. He's not invited Jesus into his home to honor him. He hasn't invited Jesus into his home out of respect out of thankfulness. He's invited him into his home to see if he's, a Pharise- if he's a prophet or not. And how does he judge if he's a prophet or not? By his response to sinners. Jesus' response to this woman proves to Simon and his other guys at the table that he's not from God in any sense of the word. He's not the Messiah. He's not a prophet. You see, in the mind of Simon and his friends, godly people seek above all else to be ceremonially clean, to be able to have access to the temple, It's not about how you interact with sinful people. It's not about offering redemption. It's simply about you and God. That's all. It's just about you being acceptable religiously. Jesus was not what Simon would have expected God's Messiah or even a prophet to be. Simon trusted in his own expectations over the word of God. I want to remind you that Simon is obviously a person who knows Jesus. He's walked with him. He's listened to him teach. He knows he's at least heard the rumors that Jesus has healed sick people, that he's made the lame to walk. He's clearly heard what Jesus teaches about himself, or he wouldn't be questioning if he's a prophet or not. Simon understands who Jesus is supposed to be, and he's trying to figure it out for himself. But since Jesus failed to meet his expectations, not the expectations of the prophets, I mind you, because Jesus is exactly what Isaiah said he would be, a friend of sinners. But that's not in Simon's brain. Uh, He rationalizes that away. To Simon, he shouldn't be interacting with these people. So he decided because of Jesus' behavior towards one woman, Jesus is not sent from God. You see, as a Pharisee, it doesn't really matter if a person's a sinner or not. It matters what kind of sins they have. Let me say it again. To the Pharisee, It's not really whether or not an individual is a sinner. It's the amount of sin and the kind of sin that determines whether God would deal with you or not. Take a deep breath. To the Pharisee. It's not whether you're a sinner or not. It's what kind of sin and how much. I wonder if we're like that today. I mean, we're willing to share the gospel with people. But the question is, any people? Naked people? People who dress slutty? What people do we decide are too far beyond? Drug addicts? 
people who are illegal in our communities? Where is our limit? Where are we, or are we not? I hope not. Let's pick up the story. So Jesus answered his thoughts. I, I misspoke. I said he said it. He did not say it. He was thinking it, and Jesus read his thoughts. This is uh, Luke 7, 40. Uh, that's important. I know you're thinking, why is it important? Because at that, Simon should have known this guy's unique. Jesus performs a miracle by reading his mind. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, Rabbi, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. <clears throat> then he turned, turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. She's still kissing his feet. Go ahead and giggle. That is awkward. He's letting it happen for a reason. He's about to make a point. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash and the dust from my feet. But she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I, came, I first came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. In fact, it's getting annoying. She's still kissing my feet. I added that part. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, Simon. She's everything you say she is. She's that bad. Her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, past tense. So she has shown me so much love. But a person who has been forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. Simon the Pharisee, despite knowing of the supernatural things that Jesus had done, despite hearing the teachings of Jesus from the prophets and the law, despite calling him a rabbi at this setting, and despite hearing the stories of those Jesus had dined with before, like Matthew the tax collector, he simply chooses to reject Jesus because he doesn't love the dirty, sinful people that Jesus lets touch him. Please note, as we have seen many do throughout our study of Jesus' life and ministry, Simon was deciding whether or not Jesus was worthy, worthy to be worshipped based upon his own measuring stick rather than God's. You see, the problem is we too often go to the Scriptures with our own preconceived ideas in telling God what we expect from him. And the truth is, that's what the Pharisees did. Anyone reading this story would see and has seen how foolish Simon the Pharisee was, but I'm afraid that the church today does the same thing all the time. Actually, okay, here's where I want to talk to teachers. I did not know how hard your job was. I knew it was hard. I did not know how hard your job was until my son decided to marry a teacher. She has been going through, this is, uh, she's in a new school district because Zach and Hannah have moved closer to the church they're serving in. And Hannah has been going through training this week. And Zach texted me in the middle of the week and said, you know, it's insane what teachers are asked to do today. They're no longer teaching the English and math, Dad. They're actually parenting. They're actually disciplining without touching. 
they're actually asked to do everything that nobody else is doing. And on top of it, now they're social services. They're making sure that the kids are fed. Oh, and by the way, Dad, if one of the kids has a strange bruise on him and Hannah doesn't call that in at the right time and it turns out to be abuse, she goes to jail. Is that about right, teachers? Is that not what you've been doing with your extra time the last two weeks is learning the new things that are respected of, expected of you this year? Isn't that what the Pump It Up Week is all about, telling you more responsibility you have? Oh, we've got a new way of doing this. And they stand up here and they do laughter and they do dancing. And at the end you go, I think I just got 12 new jobs. How about you bus drivers? You're asked to maintain control of a group of out-of-control, over-hormoned, crazy children without any discipline tactics to help you do that, except speak nicely. It is no wonder that your next knot in your stomach is, I sure hope I have a group of good kids this year. I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking about my church every Sunday. I'm just kidding, I don't. But the truth is, you're going to evaluate your year's work based upon what kind of kids you get over the next couple weeks. When in reality, what other ministry in the whole universe, including vocational ministry, does God bring to you 20 absolutely needy young men and women to hear about Jesus Christ? Well, I can't talk about Jesus Christ. You live it. You're supposed to be different. Teachers, you are given the opportunity to be the temple of God in the lives of out-of-control culture. This culture no longer tr trusts the political class. It doesn't trust the police. It doesn't trust anybody anymore. The FBI has now been under undermined. I'm still working on getting a blue jacket with those letters on it, but my FBI agent friends will not give me one, and they're sinful. The truth is, the truth is, you are on the forefront of mission work. Those kids that are out of control aren't out of control because they woke up one day and decided to be jerks. They're out of control because they have no safe place, no peace, no hope. And the truth is you're going to work with them for a couple days or a year, and you're going to send them back into a drug-infested home. That can't be changed. You can't change that. You cannot adopt 75% of Angelina's County students. And it's, I need to say something. I am not saying that people who live in poverty are all bad parents. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that the reason that we have a problem in our culture today with the young people is not because young people woke up at five and decided that they wanted to hate on people. It's decided, it, 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 it happened because they have no safe place. They have no peace. They have no hope. And when you also add the political language of the church to that, to that uh, attitude, why in the world would they want our God? Why in the world would they want us? Love them like Jesus did. This story, and, I, and I've left my notes, so I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my words, and I know you can, you can hear it, and I, I just don't want to say anything offensive, but I want to say this. I want you to understand the context of Jesus in this story. Jesus goes to dinner. He's invited to dinner, and he's going into the enemy's house. You just want a paycheck. You want to take care of your family. You want to teach kids how to read, write, and do arithmetic. And God is going to bring into your house people that you may perceive as enemies. Go love them like Jesus did. This is, we, we are not called to stay safe. We are not called to retire. We're not called to withdraw. We're not called to find that perfect environment. We are called to tell the world that there is hope in a relationship with God through Jesus. Well, I can't talk about that. Then live it. Do you understand that the fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is not something you strap on like the gospel? It is what you are. 
You are loving if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. You are a person who brings peace. You are a peacemaker. You have joy. Well, I don't have any of those things. Then surrender control of your life to the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus had. This is an incredible story because this woman probably stunk and she was probably disease-ridden. And yet Jesus let her touch him. So Jesus wants me to let them touch me? What a way to die. Isn't that why you love Mother Teresa? I know that sometimes doctrinally you wonder where she was. I understand that she was a follower of Jesus. That's what what, uh, people who knew her, I don't know, but I do know that she loved people like Jesus did. When we go, went to India, we were you know, a couple hundred miles from where she served in Calcutta. This is, this is what we're supposed to be. But what if I get a disease? Then die well, my friends. We're not supposed to live to live. That, that's what offends so many Christians. We're trying to find a way that Jesus can give us the life here and the next. We're going to be a blast here. It is a blast here. It's the greatest adventure of all. But it's hard too and it's painful and it's scary. And if every time God challenges our faith by allowing us to do his ministry in the way that he did it, we freak out, how are we any different than the Republicans or the Democrats? I'm not yelling at you teachers. I just want us to be like Jesus. Really, really, really be like Jesus. Be willing to go broke for the king. You don't, you don't be stupid. Now I know some of you are thinking the Sermon on the Mount. Now I'm going to hell, right? We're not fools. We take our money. We budget our money. We make as much as we can, and, and we try to spread it around. But the truth is, this is where we work. Jesus lived for 33 and a half years, and the reason he didn't take a break, despite trying to, over and over he goes up the mountain, over and over he tries to rest, and every time he goes somewhere, guess what? There's a crowd there that needs ministry, and he ministers to them. There's no breaks, there's no breaks when you're in the ministry. This is warfare. And our job is to take as many people with us to heaven as we can. And I, I know it's hard But our job and your job as a teacher is not to make the kids become good. Might I remind you of Romans chapter 3? Louise put that up there for us. I'm going to keep reminding of you this. The law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. You are here this morning because you have been forgiven of great sin. You see, the problem with us is we kind of think we're less needy as the drug addict or the prostitute or the homeless person, but in God's view, we're just as needy. That's why he taught the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Because they thought that if you committed adultery, you weren't worthy of the kingdom of God. And then God said to them, well, my father's standards are much higher. If you lust, you've committed adultery. We think if we murdered, but the joke we've been, that I've been hearing thrown around the church the last few weeks is Jesus says, if you ever call somebody an idiot or stupid. Well, everybody's done that. Yes, they have. Everybody deserves hell. But we've been given heaven. We've been given heaven. Do you think about that? We've been given heaven. We have life. 
If today gets really, really bad, if our country goes bankrupt, if everything that we depend on goes bad and we have to eat rice for the rest of our life, we still get heaven. What a coup this is. There's, there's no way you lose it if you're truly God's child. But Satan wants us to live to live. He wants us to live for more money or more success or more wealth. And when we do that, we start getting angry at the very people that we have been called to minister to, whether you're a teacher or a pastor. You get angry at people that wear their pants too low for your liking or cars jump or vote Republican or Democrat. You start telling people they're unworthy of your presence because, and Jesus here had dinner with a prostitute kissing his feet. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Maybe you're not. Aren't you glad? When was the last time you were so overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for you, you just ran and lost control? You couldn't stop talking about how good he is. It just flowed out of you to a point where you knew people were annoyed by it. Or have we may become so sophisticated? We don't do that in our church because we're not crazy like them. I'm not saying that we should. Yes, I am. We should remember what Jesus has done for us. Because at this table, there's only three groups of people. You've got the minister who's Jesus. You've got the religious guy who is questioning Jesus' authority because he loves sinful people. And you've got a sinful woman who's just grateful. Which one of these three do you think is most effective for the kingdom? I know, I asked myself that question this week. While Simon greeted Jesus with skepticism upon his arrival into his home, and how do I know that? Because he didn't even wash his feet, and you know how important that is in Hebrew culture. On top of that, he was supposed to greet him with a kiss, which is welcoming. It's not weird. It's normal. And if he really, really honors him, he offers him a small amount of fragrant, ready, ladies, natural oils, in order to anoint her as head, because that's what you did. Help the smell. Stunk back then. Days were hot. Lots of walking. It was like bathing. It was refreshment. He hadn't done any of that. And the woman did all of it. Only she used what she had, her tears, perfume. Why would a woman be carrying expensive perfume? You know exactly why she'd be carrying for expensive perfume. Somehow in that, God is honored by her using her sinful tools to honor him. How amazing is our God? Simon didn't see himself as needing much forgiveness, if any at all. He was a strong Jew. Despite being offered much forgiveness by Jesus, he didn't feel he really needed it that much. He was satisfied with the Old Testament religious route of forgiveness and animal sacrifices and ceremonial cleansing. He didn't really buy into the whole God standard of righteousness thing Jesus had taught. I mean, look who he hung out with. On the other hand, the woman knew how much she had been forgiven. So her love for Jesus grew from her appreciation for what he had done for her. And he looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. He said that to her. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
I know that you're used to the Bible thing, and that's nothing to you. But I want you to notice from Luke 7, 49, what Simon and his buddies thought when Jesus said that. The exact same thing that is said every time Jesus forgives sins instead of said, your body's healed. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Notice that he goes around, he doesn't just say it here, but they know he's been forgiving sins. What right does he have? Who does he think he is? And you know, the inference there as a Hebrew is, does he think he's God? And Jesus goes, right there, buddy. Yes, I do. Remember, the last time this question was asked, he actually preached that he was, in fact, God. And they missed the point. He did have the authority to forgive sins. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And when they asked that question, Verse 50, instead of answering them, Jesus turns to the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go walk into peace. Two things I want you to know about this. Number one, when he says your faith has saved you, what he is saying is, as opposed to their good works. These guys here that are bad-mouthing us, they're grumbling under their breath. These guys are saying that you need to be like them. I'm telling you, it's your faith that has saved you today, sweetheart. And then he says something that is badly translated. He actually says to her, not just go in peace, but go walk into your peace. It starts today, sweetie. Walk into your peace. You want peace? Walk into it. It starts now and it goes into eternity. You will forever know what forgiveness is about. Welcome into my kingdom. Just like the guy on the, the cross that, Jesus, that says to Jesus, remember me when you enter paradise. Jesus said, today you'll be with me there. You see, Jesus doesn't save self-righteous jerks. He saves sinners. Really, really gross sinners like self-righteous Baptists and prostitutes and homeless drug addicts and people and kids in your class that rebel against you. I am not saying that you don't have discipline. I'm saying that while you discipline your children, you pray for their souls. And you pray for their parents' souls. And you look for opportunities to tell them about hope that is found outside of themselves. The value of being born into a, <coughs> into a <coughs> difficult situation. Look, I am not making a political statement. Can you just breathe and listen to me for a second? What does it do to the heart of a child? And I'm, what does it do to a heart of a child to be raised in a home where they, they were brought here illegally and they are told they are illegal their whole lives? What does that do to the psyche of a child? I'm not saying you shouldn't vote for a wall. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote for law. I'm simply saying we have to feel, deal with the people beyond the law too. We have to. We can't just say, that's those people, good luck. Somebody will reach them. we got to reach them. That's why the Albersons are going to the border, and we should go too. That's why we sent, we, <coughs> I, I'm assuming that in their presentation up here, that Pam and Kevin are going to share with you about what's going on with the, the refugees from Venezuela that are going to Brazil that we are helping the church deal with. How are we helping them? Money. We, we spent, in the last 12 months, what's $12,000? Is that about right, Kevin? In the last 12 months, your money, that's why you give. We have sent $12,000 because they are every penny of every dollar goes to, to taking care of these people, to, to housing them. <clears throat> We're talking about doctors, lawyers, dentists, people who are professionals. You can't even imagine being refugees. <clears throat> and it's a tragedy, except that they're coming to us now. How else can we get the world to come in need? Do, do you understand how amazing that is? They don't, we don't have to go find them. We don't have to go to North Lovkin teachers. You do not have to go to North Lovkin and give somebody a hot dog anymore. They're coming to your class. <clears throat> I, 
I can't minister to them in my class. Every contact you have with them is ministry. Every time you hug them. What if you get lice? The good news is when we were kids, you got lice, they shaved your head. Now you just have to, have to wash everything a lot. Get lice for Jesus. That's going to be the Carpenter's Way t-shirt. <laughs> Look, the, the reason I hate preaching up on this stage is because it, it, it makes it feel like I'm, I'm doing this. I'm not. I like preaching down there because we're talking. <clears throat> I, I wish Jesus taught health and wealth too because it would make me rich and better looking. I, I don't know how those two work. Just bear with me. But he didn't. There's a whole group of Christendom right now that's trying to convince you you can have your life now and not worry about later. I'm here to tell you Jesus said, if you find your satisfaction now, you will not find it later. Whoa, are you saying I'm not saved? I'm just telling you what Jesus taught. These are the teachings of Jesus. This is the guy who slaps Pharisees and loves prostitutes. When was the last time a Baptist church did something like that? I know you're giggling because you're not Baptist. I'm not either, but you know what I mean, evangelical. When we want to minister to people like that, we send people for a day. How about living among them? Do you, I'm, about, I'm about done, um, but let me say this. The next four verses, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and we're not going to read it right now. Tell about the women that started following Jesus when the apostles left mentions Mary Magdalene, other women that were demon-possessed. And Luke isn't going, oh, I just thought of something. Jesus was a feminist. Only he didn't like rich, bougie women. I don't know if that works. I don't know if it's inappropriate. I don't even know what it means. My kid uses it all the time, so I'd like to apologize. <laughs> I thought it was really hip. Chad wants me to preach with one of these, but I'm not that hip. I'm kind of scared of the whole thing. I'd be carrying it around like this. Jesus invited prostitutes and <laughs> demon-possessed women to follow. Can you imagine if Jesus walked in here with his entourage, what we would think? That's Jesus. Ooh, his people stink. Go stink with them. Go stink with them. Let's get them, you guys. Let's go get them. Teachers, I know that you're overwhelmed. I know that you went through your encouragement this week. Here's my encouragement for you. You can't do it. You'll never accomplish your goals this year. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. You can do more, more than you can absolutely dream and pray for if you're in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who work in other fields, if you're a lawyer or a doctor, you're a teacher, God is calling you to work with broken people, and you can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're cut off in traffic, you don't have to run them off the road. You can actually minister to people. When a cop pulls you over because you were speeding, you can actually be kind to the cop. Your life can be changed by the Holy Spirit's presence within you. You can be like Jesus. You can be like Jesus if you allow the Holy Spirit to take control of your life and actually control how you react to the stimulus that happens around you. And so here is my encouragement for you this morning as we wrap up. Teachers, uh, uh, people who work in, in the um, food at schools, uh, bus drivers, um, anybody who shops at Lubkin Mall on Friday night when a bunch of teenagers are hanging out, go give them Jesus. I can't talk about Jesus. Be Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so people go, teacher, why are you so kind to me? Because God's been kind to me.
Thank you for asking the question. By the way, you're allowed to answer if they ask, right? Nobody says you have to read them the whole book of Romans. Just tell them the truth, unless it's not true. Live it out. Go get them. All right, if you are a teacher, if you are in the educational system in any, in, in any form, in any school district, including homeschooling, because your kids are the worst, would you please stand? <laughs> please stand. Please. Don't be shy. If you are in the education, don't clap. We're not raising them up. We're asking them to give their lives to the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to pray for you. You need prayer. A lot of it. We watch TV. We know what it's like in the school. I know a lot. I watch a lot of TV. It's hard. And you homeschoolers, I'm, I'm kind of not kidding. You live with these kids. You know every weakness they have, and they know what every weakness you have. It's not easy. But your real job, the thing that will last the next 150 years, is not to educate your children. It is to give them Jesus. That is your job. And if you fail at teaching them math, or their computers, or whatever it is you do in the school system, or feeding them healthy food. I prefer non-healthy food. If you fail at everything else and you give them Jesus, it will have been a great year. And by the way, you have no idea what they're learning from your life. Let's take a moment and pray for these teachers educators. Lord Jesus, I ask you to help us see the world from your point of view. It has been a wonderfully hot summer. We have vacationed, we have rested. We have tried to put off thinking about our work uh, as long as we could, but now it's real. And every teacher in this community and in this church, Father, are thinking, what kind of kids am I going to have? And the answer to that question, Father, for your children is you are, they are going to have the kind of children you send them. There's going to be good kids in their classroom who don't think that they're bad. There's going to be neutral kids in their class that are just scooting along, like me, B and C students, and then there's going to be rough kids from rough homes that are going to challenge them. Lord Jesus, I ask that your spirit inhabit your people and that the reaction is under the control of the Holy Spirit, that you will give them wisdom to break through the barriers of attitude and personality and fear that these children have. I pray that these men and women that are standing before us today We'll see a harvest of souls this year because they were men and women who gave this year to you, that saw their classrooms, their buses, their cafeterias as opportunities to be like Jesus in a dark place. So Lord, I pray your blessing on their lives. I'm going to be quiet now, and those of you standing, would you commit yourself this year to him no matter what you face? Tell him you give him this year. I want you to tell him in your heart what your fears are for this year. What are you not looking forward to? Take it. Put your burdens at his feet. He said, come to me if you're laboring. Now I want you to ask him to control your attitudes and your responses. And now, Father, for everybody else in this room, Help us see Angelina County not as our home, but our mission field. And may we start seeing heaven as our home. And make us more like this prostitute than we are the Pharisee. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. If you do not have a Bible study, somebody's going to be at the table that would love to take you to one.
God bless you. We're praying for you educators.